Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion, that USDA program. It's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. It would be easy to look at the House of Representatives and assume that the members of the Freedom Caucus, and not Speaker Kevin McCarthy, are the ones who are actually in charge. This past week was a perfect example of why. On Tuesday, McCarthy raised some eyebrows when he announced an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. It was a partisan maneuver that has subjected him to a lot of criticism, especially from within his own party. After all, what new information did McCarthy have to justify this? If you believe the talk around Washington, the answer is none at all. McCarthy's big impeachment announcement was, according to the conventional wisdom, an attempt to solve a bigger problem, the possibility of a government shutdown at the end of the month. It was an effort to buy support from the group of far-right members who are tanking the requisite spending bills because they think their fellow conservatives have gone soft. It's a story we've seen before. For the most part, these holdouts are the same arch-conservatives who forced 15 votes on McCarthy's speakership, who demanded and received a one-vote threshold to remove McCarthy as speaker, and who later coerced the speaker into breaking the deal he made with Joe Biden to raise the debt limit. And so yet again, with a government shutdown looming, Speaker McCarthy is dancing to the Freedom Caucus's tune. Or is he? On today's show, we're putting that question to the leader of one group of Republicans who you don't hear from a lot, the moderates. Ohio Congressman Dave Joyce is the chairman of the Republican Governance Group, the preeminent faction for GOP centrists. And he's also a senior appropriator, which means he's one of the people who has to figure out how to get out of this government shutdown mess. I'm Ryan Lizza, and this is Playbook Deep Dive. If you were in Hollywood, Dave Joyce is the man you'd cast to play a GOP moderate. He's an Ohio Republican who represents the suburbs. He spent 25 years as a county prosecutor. He loves to discuss his record combating algal blooms in the Great Lakes. And on the wall above his desk, in his office, is a giant photo of his golden retriever and Kevin McCarthy. Today, in his sixth term, he chairs the powerful Appropriations Subcommittee for Homeland Security, where he controls about $55 billion of funding each year, including money for fraught issues such as immigration and border security. I caught up with Joyce in his Washington office in Rayburn to learn how the Republicans you don't see quoted on Breitbart are approaching the tumultuous issues gripping the lower chamber. We talked at length about the rationale behind McCarthy's new impeachment gambit, if and how the Speaker can claw together the votes to avoid a government shutdown, the odds that McCarthy will face a vote to remove him as Speaker, and what it's really like in private between Joyce and the members of the Freedom Caucus he battles in public. Let's start with one of the several hats you wear, which is you lead the Republican governance group. Hmm? I'm not going to make the obvious joke here, but what is the governance group and how is that going? Well, we're the group that likes to get things done, which is tough to do in this circumstance. But, uh, <laughs> we, uh, 
it, it, what it is is we consider ourselves majority makers in that, that we all come from districts that uh, have been purple. Although, you know, you have some like Blake Morrow's in our 20-something. Uh, he, he's the, he's the, targeted. He, he's at the one end of the spectrum. And then you have other end of the spectrum. A lot of people are in Biden plus districts. But together, we all want to work towards common goals. Oh, he's goals. a plus Trump. He's plus right. 10 Trump. Yeah. Your district's like, what, what was your last election? I, I think it went up to five or so. Okay. Uh, I hadn't been the most purple district in Ohio up to the last redistricting. But you won by more than that. Yes, I've consistently been yeah. blessed with pretty good margins. <laughs> How does McCarthy, what's the path through this? Because he's running into the brick wall of the Senate, which mm-hmm. just thinks this is not uh, going to fly <laughs> in terms of the spending. And he's running into the potential brick wall of, of his, his his right flank, which doesn't seem to be appeased by this impeachment uh, issue and, you know, wants to cause a little bit more chaos on the floor with a, a motion to vacate. So if you could put, could just use your crystal ball and sort of explain the way forward here for your conference. Well, the, the crystal ball's got a lot of fingerprints all over it. So it's, a little, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little murky at the moment. Uh, but... It, you know, initially the plan was we were going to lay out – we've already passed um, uh, Milcon VA. Then we're going to pass defense, and then we're going to pass homeland and attach the spending uh, on the, that part of it only for the fire part, not Ukraine. Uh, and so uh, the first play was called, and uh, – uh, I think we're now at second. First play is the passing defense that was in line, and so now we're at second and ten. So, uh, <laughs> so there was a fumble. There was a fumble. At least uh, not a penalty. All right, we got the ball back. We 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 got to figure out what play uh, we're going to do in the second down, and you know I I, I just I fail to find where people could logically. Uh, not fun defense. I mean, I just don't, I can't get there on my own head, but, yeah. uh, and there's some clamor among folks who say, put it on the floor, make folks actually vote against it. Show the American people that these people are going to vote against the defense spending, mm-hmm. against the veterans, against that funding. Uh, that's just what I've heard talk of. That's not Kevin, but that's just what I've heard talk from other members. And I understand and appreciate that. I mean, sometimes, yeah, I know leadership doesn't necessarily put things on the floor and lose a vote. Yeah. But sometimes it's important to let their constituents see at home, like, this guy's willing to vote against your benefits, against our military, uh, in order to move the ball forward. So that's uh, one option available to you, kind of on the parliamentary terms, kind of an, uh, an extreme option. Correct. You know, and, and, and it's not been places places run. Although when I first got here, I remember there a couple of times we did lose. We were the majority did lose bills on the floor because uh, ag bill counting wasn't done correctly. They didn't have as good a whip as you. Or because <laughs> I'm, I'm just uh, uh, on the the whip, the whip team. team. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. Uh, but you know, I, no, it's it, it you know, it's, give you an idea. It's like the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative it was my baby. You know, you start off with it and you go around and you get the folks who are on the Great Lakes. Then you, you get them to get them to help with their state delegations. And then you go around after you get that and you realize that, you know, the same problems, the algal blooms and that they're having in Florida, they're having everywhere. If you get buy-in, I passed the bill 408 to 17. Now, I have those 17 names laminated. <laughs> but <laughs> What it, year was that? Uh, that was in 13, 14, somewhere in there. Uh, they passed again uh, to get more funding for it there on the wall. But, uh, you know, that was – it was one of those things where you, I realized early on, you got to build consensus. you got to make your argument, people. What don't you like about it? 
know, here's the problems that it affects. Go home and, and ask if you're having these type of issues at home. And then when they come back, say, yeah, we are having that. I didn't realize algal blooms were a big thing in Tennessee or Kentucky or other spots. It, it, it helps create that energy. And so Kevin has made the, the big case, but I think it's now up to Ken Calvert, myself, and the other Cardinals to make the case on their individual bills on why it's important and, and you know, uh, try to make tailor the bill as best we can. Now, realizing that, we pass them in the House. They're going to go over the Senate, and they're going to come back looking new. Uh, and that's when a real fight, I think, occurs. And that's when, uh, hopefully, uh, Hakeem and, and some of their folks will realize that, uh, well, there are some good things in here, maybe thanks to the Senate or anything in here, and we get together and pass them on a bipartisan basis. And I don't know what's wrong with that. People act like it's a terrible thing that, you know, it doesn't, we don't vote things up and down 222 to 212 every time we're out there. Uh, you know, I think when you have participation from both sides, you actually have a better bill because it'll probably last and endure uh, more so than just having, you know, the one size fits all for the Republicans, then the next term you have the one size fits all for Democrats. But your argument is basically... If, if if you want anything, that's the, this is the process you have to use. Correct. You're not going to get it through a, a shutdown threat. Correct. Or shutting down. You know, and, and, and there's only so many people who uh, are really involved with that shutdown, and that's not a majority by any means. We always pay so much attention to what the Freedom Caucus is yelling about. Do you ever get frustrated that it seems like, maybe I'm wrong about this, but from the outside watching this process, it seems like leadership always has to respond to the right. They always have to figure out how to navigate around the right. They rarely seem to be wringing their hands about how to navigate around the governance caucus or, you know, whatever whatever moderate uh, uh, group. Does that ever frustrate you? And do you ever think like, you know, maybe we should adopt some of their tactics once in a while? Uh, sometimes the right's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying they're right, but I'm just saying the squeak, for, you know, do you ever think, well, maybe we need to be the squeaky wheel once in a while, and how do I do that? And I get that from, uh, I wouldn't say younger members, but newer members who yeah. get in here, and that's why I've urged patience. You know, we've seen this fight before. This is how it's going to play out, but, but we should fight. We should do, no, no, let, let it pan out because, you know. The, that's the, your view, to let it pan out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the, there's nothing to be gained right now fighting member against member over, yeah. you know, do this, do that. You have to work together and see if we can get there as a team. And if you can't get there as a team, then you will be on third or fourth play. We may be punting, who knows? But, uh, you know, I think we need to continue to work as best we can to move along as a team and, you know, it, hopefully people remember us, you know, I'd say it, and I know it sounds corny, but we run with a red or blue jersey on, but it's time we get here, we should put on red, white, and blue jerseys and do what's right for our country. And I don't see what's wrong with that, and I hope more people will start to appreciate that. And I think that if there's ever two guys who can put this together, it's Hakeem and Kevin. Let's start with if you, what you can tell us about the meeting on Wednesday. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of reporting about some back and forth between Gates and McCarthy and others. Can you sort of tell us once the conference all got together in that room on Wednesday, what was your takeaway from that meeting? Well, I wasn't there for the whole meeting, but I was okay. there for enough for the speaker to uh, you know, lay out his case for why he chose to go forward the way he did. And to me, it made sense. I've always been one to think that uh, um, that as a former prosecutor, the people are entitled to due process. And the people who you might le like the least are entitled to the most <laughs> due process. You don't change due process. It's a static thing. And so in this case, uh, it was important, I think, that uh, be able to have the uh, committees that are doing the investigation uh, continue to run out the, the investigation. I mean, I've seen as things that have been in the media 
Uh, not, nothing against media, sir. This is, <laughs> believe me, I'm used to it. <laughs> but but the our, fact, our approval rating is approaching your approval rating. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, going from a prosecutor to a congressman, I really dropped down that list of respect. But that's okay. Um, <laughs> if you, you, I saw on your Wikipedia page, it's unsourced, but it says that you considered joining the priesthood. Is that accurate? Uh, there was a time, and it uh, shocked even my parents. Yeah, well, we don't have to get into the approval rating of, of <laughs> yeah, right. who's, who's hired, but maybe some days you wish you had. <laughs> but anyhow, it, it's um, – and so I, I think that it's important that uh, take these allegations that are they're out there and let these committees uh, do what they're supposed to do and run yeah. out the course and see if there actually is anything there that, that's uh, worthy of following up on. But right now, the, some of the rush to impeachment talk that we've heard just doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. I think it, if you look back on, on President Trump's uh, when he was impeached, especially the second time, if you looked at the January 6th hearing when you had a full-blown out hearing, you probably would have changed a lot of opinions had you done that before you actually had the vote on it. And I think that the uh, you know they hearings should, first, then vote. Correct. I see. Lay it out in the way impeachments authorized hearings. Yeah, the, 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 uh, it's a step. Impeachment hearings. It, it's, Pre, yeah. it's a step to get the evidence, facts and evidence in order to, so people can make an educated decision on what that vote is. Because I, I think it's, one, I think it's been abused, the system of impeachment. If you don't like the flavor of the day, then you're going to impeach him. You know, every elected official is, has to make de- decisions that at least uh, a minority of the people are not going to be happy with. Right. And so right. you, you hire people based on their ability to get the job done. So when you're elected, you like to think you have some room to move to make intelligence decisions based upon the facts that are before you. Yeah. So that's why I – and so certainly the way I've approached my job here is trying to make sure that we have the ability to continue to move forward and with well, the facts and that's a, all right. The way you just laid this out is very different from a lot of others because <laughs> you're actually laying out McCarthy's decision here as a due process mechanism that pr- it protects the rights of the accused, protects the rights of the, the, the president. Um, a lot of other people don't see it that way. They see it if you're if you are against this move, you see it as premature. Ken Buck, who's in the Freedom Caucus, sort of mm-hmm. the mirror image of the, of the governance group in some ways up mm-hmm. here in the Republican conference. He's a former prosecutor. He has said, look, this is, this is premature. Like, you know, uh, and his colleagues in the Freedom Caucus have been pushing this. But you're saying, uh, uh, coming at this from a, a prosecutorial frame of mind, you see this as a protecting Biden's due process rights. It's part of it. I think there's due process that he's entitled to, but I also think as part of that process is making sure that you actually have a factual case and that there's evidence that uh, you could say one thing, but it's nothing to prove it. It's important that we prove these things because the allegations are made there are, are terrible. And if they're true, then people should be held accountable for that. But I think it's important that we get the facts and the evidence in place before we start mm-hmm. rushing to judgment. Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Well, first of all, give our listeners a little bit of a sense of your view of Kevin McCarthy and your relationship uh, with him and 
I, I want to talk about you, obviously, but I would like to get your perspective on him and how he's been handling this rough patch. Sure. As you can see, Kevin's a dog lover. <laughs> you got a picture. <laughs> look, you've got a picture of him right there next to your desk, although not his face. But <laughs> well, yeah, I had another one with his face, but I moved that one. It was above it. I figured that was too much McCarthy in one spot. So. <laughs> uh, so I'm assuming you don't hate him. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was. Yeah, I had my dog in, and his before he got his dogs, he's like, "Hey, your dogs," and and I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "Bring it over." And this was during the COVID shutdown. I'm like. Bring my dog to the Capitol? You're, you're, you're the, he's like, no, bring him over. So we put a tie on him. You don't see that on the dog and walked him over there. The dog has a tie on. Yeah. Oh. And, and, uh, <laughs> and that's this, McCarthy's office? Right. And then the seat next to Kevin, he meet, my dog immediately went in, jumped in the seat next to him, and, and Kevin looks over at the dog like, what are you doing? And then the dog licks him in the face. <laughs> so it was it was a uh, and that was a picture that was above when he was the dog was sitting in the chair next to Kevin. And the other the other just so listeners know the other thing next to your desk on the opposite wall here or adjacent wall is the GOP whip team for the 117th Congress. Yes. So um, so I, I, look, I think Kevin's done. I've been behind Kevin. Uh, been friends for the, the decade I've been here. I think he's doing a, a great job as a speaker, and certainly the best job that can be done with the hand he's been dealt. And he's trying to, uh, and I think he's done a good job of bringing people together. I mean, in the first 10 years, I can't tell you that we all sat at the same table. Everybody being their own camp, if you will, yeah. and then lobbying to the center. Well, now he puts everybody in the room and says, look, this is your decision. Let's go back to being a, a body that's controlled by the members versus the leadership controlling it, which had been on, under Speaker Pelosi and Boehner and Ryan, things would tend to come from their office down to the floor and have an up or down vote on it. So you think it's more, it's less top down than it was? Correct. And, and more member driven. And, and that gives you the ability with committees to do their job, just like the committees should do on the impeachment process, judiciary oversight, just like we've done on appropriations. But there comes a point in time where people have to trust each other. Yeah. You know, if we were on the same team and, and you're putting together a bill, I don't have to be on your particular committee to appreciate the fact that you've done a lot, the legwork and the hard work to come up with a decision and put it up for a vote. And so when he's allowed that to happen, the competition of ideas, I think, has been a good thing. I just think that there's sometimes we get personalities in here who just don't like Kevin and want to create issues for him. And, you know, you have to get beyond that. We, we're in, it's not about the personality. It's about the problems that America faces. How seriously do you think the threat of a motion to vacate the chair is at this point? Well, you know, obviously they fought hard to make sure that they kept it in so one person could do it. Yeah. And that was his price of admission, I guess. Hey, I'd have bet the farm that the person who's talking about doing it would be the first person to do it anyhow, uh, because it's just the nature of the beast. Uh, you know, these people enjoy talking that. About Representative Gates. Correct. And I'm also uh, on ethics, so I can't really talk about Gates. But the idea that you know somehow uh, the speaker's responsible for his having an ethics investigation, I can tell you, is completely false. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you look at uh, what was out in the media before, and the fact that they had some issues with friends down there in Florida, that would cause people to actually want to take a look at it. You right, know? because let's. But publicly, we, there's a criminal investigation that is publicly known about. Correct. And the Ethics Committee should look into that. You know, I'm, I'm not saying there is or is not an investigation, but they should look into things like that. That's what the, they have an Ethics Committee for, uh, for. But I can tell you one thing. Kevin has never talked to me about it other than 
forcing me into the damn committee. <laughs> <laughs> not the assignment anyone ever wants, I guess. Yeah. yeah. It's like being on internal affairs, I said, in a police the department. hall monitor. Yeah. <laughs> but it's better than being the mask and, and uh, magnetometer police that we were last session. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's interesting stuff. And, it, you know, so I think it's important that, uh, you know, you remember that people have grudges against him for whatever reason and that they use this as a, uh, to take it out on Kevin. And that's not fair. That seems like a, a point that's being pushed uh, the la- this this week uh, in trying to explain Gates's uh, rebelliousness here. I noticed McCarthy after I believe it was after the meeting last night, but the comments I saw were reported today, he said, you know, some people have personal reasons for 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 this. That's this is what he's referring mm-hmm. to. Well, this, and then I've heard other members, uh, not necessarily on the uh, removing him, but just say, well, why aren't you voting for this? Because I just don't like Kevin. Well, then that's really not a good reason. I mean, your constituents all hate Kevin, too. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do what's best for our country or best for your district in our country. So wouldn't you add, use a little bigger lens when you're looking at the problems? But, you know, people are people and they make decisions based upon uh, personal beliefs and sometimes their animosity. So were you there on uh, Wednesday evening when this exchange happened, when McCarthy said, call the fucking vote or whatever the exact language was. I was not there for that, but you know, I could see. You heard about it? It's got to be frustrating for the guy. Yeah. You know, he's, I just was out in Maui with him to view the devastation out there and got to spend some quality time over the course of the day looking at that tragedy. And, uh, you know, he cares deeply about what's going on in his country and he's yeah. trying to move everything in the right direction. I've always found him to be very thoughtful and articulate about where he wants to go. It's just a matter of getting everybody else on the board. I know sometimes in the, the media we do overly focus on the bright, shiny objects, so the Gateses who are being mm. really loud and causing these disruptive moments, and that's easy to cover because it's a big intra-party fight. Put Gates aside for a second, and correct me if you think the premise of this question is wrong, but what most of us believe is that McCarthy did think that by throwing some impeachment chum in the water, mm. it would help give him some room on the spending piece of this very difficult month and and the CR. Now, when people see Gates uh, saying that doesn't matter, impeachment's it's not going far enough, I'm still not voting for a CR, they say, oh, it didn't work. Put Gates aside. Has it worked? One, was that generally your understanding of the strategy? If, if, tell me if I've got that wrong. And in other ways, has this strategy maybe brought some of the right flanked together? Has it worked? Has it backfired? Just give me your analysis of this decision and the politics of it and how it's going to play into this mending portion here. I don't think that was necessarily a strategy and I'll do this to get them to do that. I think it was an idea that, uh, and have been part of this, and let me back up and tell you the story why, yeah, please. is that you know, when people are home for this, and this time six weeks, which is a pretty long time to be back in district, Yeah, you, you tend to Probably be- Probably wish you were back there now. <laughs> well, you tend to be in the, sometimes your own echo chamber. And it depends on how brave you are to step outside that echo chamber and meet folks where they're at versus listening to the same red meat arguments and giving those same red meat arguments. And so I go back to when I first got here, uh, when we left, right before we left for a break, Mark Meadows had some letter that started the shutdown of 13 that was saying, you got to sign on to defund Obamacare. And, you know, that got to a slow roar. By the time we got back, you know, I had people screaming at me, why haven't you signed on to Mark Meadows' letter? Yes, I remember covering this. It was, I mean, one of the things that taught me was you really do have to pay attention to those early warning signs from the right because these things become mainstream so fast. 
and especially given the ability to all go home and then do that in their media markets, because then it's like media markets collide. That all of a sudden you get this booming voice that comes back to DC. It's like, oh, you got to defund Obamacare. And to me, that program made no sense. We're going to shut down the government and we're going to pass a bill. Granted, Republicans had the House that the Senate, which is Democratic controlled, is going to pass that President Obama, who named the program after himself or didn't mind the moniker of his name on the program itself, is going to sign to defund the thing that he brought into existence and fought hard to get in existence. That's not a winning strategy. And as we approach this shutdown. But it worked, right? For what? <laughs> the third, or Obamacare's days. gone, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. 17 days we sat around here twiddling our thumbs till Boehner came in one day and said, all right, we, I led this fight. The fight's, there's no resolution in sight. We need to get out of this. Yeah. And, and I bring that same argument as I, uh, you know, we approach some of these other ones. Look, I, you know, if you can show me what your game plan is and you show me that there's an end game or a strategy here that uh, could produce a victory. Yeah. And you get the same, well, Americans will have to see we fight. Fight and lose. That's what we get talking about. And that, I think, frustrates these people more. And if you get outside your echo chamber and you talk to folks throughout the district, why can't you guys just get along? You know, I work with people I don't like, but that doesn't mean that we don't work together to fix the problems at our company or to fix the problems in our local government. What's the problem? And then the other part is that people are amazed, like, you know, you you get along with them? They'll see that I'm friends with Democrats. You get along with Democrats? Yeah. They're actually good people who come here. Don't tell me to get along with people in the media. That's really messy. <laughs> well, then I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I mean, you, you tell folks, look, I think there's 435 people here who love their country. And they understand there's problems. They just happen to see the ways to solve those problems from a different lens. And the idea is try to persuade them uh, that, you know, you're not going to get 100 percent of what you want when you're in the majority. But you get 70 percent and bring some of these folks on. I think this is a and I hope and pray that it's one of the reasons I've stuck around here, that we're finally going to get back to that idea that bipartisanship works it sets in place things that last over time. And I think America's ready for instead of you know, they're in majority, then we're in the majority. So we reverse what they did and they reverse what we did. You know, you plan on your home and your budget for the next month or six months or a year. Most businesses do, but we can't even plan what we're doing at the end of this month. So it's frustrating in that respect. And I think people understand that frustration and they hear fighting. They don't like that. They want to hear, you know, let's get the make things work. So you've been pointing out this analogy to the last shutdown that you, as you point out, didn't accomplish any policy goals, arguably backfired politically. Although I will say, I remember interviewing Raul Labrador, the head of the Freedom Caucus back then, who's now back in Idaho, state politics, who will still argue till he's blue in the face to this day that that government shutdown politically benefited the Republicans. I forget the the whole lot, sequence of logic there, but just to point out that there are members of the shutdown crew who would push back. You pointed out- And it propelled some to fame. Like who? Meadows, uh, you know, and, and that crowd. I mean, they went on to have- Know, bigger things. And, and that, I think, is one of the problems that you were pointing out. That's interesting, out. yeah. Maybe it didn't help the Republican Party, but it helped certain individuals. Correct. And I think, you were, as you were pointing out, the shiny object tending to get the most noise. And then you all of a sudden you see that that amounts to somebody like Gates, all these personal contributions in small ways. And it's like, you think that's crazy. Hold my beer. You know, and then the next one will get in line and say even crazier things. And I think we need to stay focused on, you know, those people who are getting the job done. And, yeah. you know, you go back to your district and say to uh, folks, look, you know, what have you done? What have you accomplished? What have you brought home? You know, have you solved the problem we're having with our water, with our sewer or any of that stuff? Or have you been on TV every day making you- an ass of yourself? You pointed out something that I was not aware of, but that Chip Roy 
worked for Ted Cruz at the time. He was Ted Cruz, his chief of staff. I confess I didn't know that. And, you know, you pointed out that the strategy was not a, a very successful one. And you and Roy went back and forth on Twitter. You guys have become sort of two of the faces of this uh, intraparty fight right now. As a public Twitter spat, kind of a, you know, usual thing on Twitter, nothing gets resolved. <laughs> <laughs> but when you sit down with people who are pursuing this sort of like take two of the shutdown strategy, do you ever feel like, you, you know, in private moments, you have any breakthroughs, any any kind of like, here's how this is going to end. It's not going to work, mm -hmm. you, you know, and back and forth like that. Is there, you know, I guess what I'm wondering is there is that is in, in private, does it get any further than what we see in these kind of Twitter spats? Well, I, I didn't initiate a Twitter spat. Or expat or whatever it's called. As soon as I saw it, and then we got to the floor that day, I went right up to Chip and I said, "Look, you know, I'm I'm not, you know, I put it in context for you. I said you were the chief, so you were there before. This isn't new to you." And he's like, "No problem, I get it. I know exactly what you're going for." So sometimes maybe the comms teams drive some of that program more so than he and I. <laughs> but but I, I and I get that. But you know, one thing I found about Chip during the whole process of uh, Kevin getting to speaker in the months we spent working up to that day, uh, he was an honest broker. You know, he came in. He wasn't asking for anything for himself. Uh, he has these concerns, and I appreciate and address his concerns. But you know, as we talk about this one, you know, he doesn't. He wants to defund Homeland. Walk me through that. You're well, on. You're, this is my committee on yeah. appropriations. And well, so I'm, you're not. A, you didn't become a priest, but you are a cardinal. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that. <laughs> but sometimes you feel like uh, you know you continue to uh, talk to folks and, and explain to them that. And I really think everyone should take an approach 101, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, you not know, a bad it, idea. It, following him with it and just saying, "Look, you know, you talk about defunding the homeland security." What does that do for it? Well, you know, I've had this people, I can't see a mother, mother who has lost a kid to fentanyl. I haven't, you know, I can't go back to these. But what does that do? Right. Defunding well, homeland doesn't. That. Great. Well, can you tell me how this defunding homeland is going to fix that problem? You know, funding homeland, if you look at how I've done it, I mean, everything's laid out in there that basically incorporates HR2 with the funding. And, you, you know, the language is there. So uh, you got to. This, this is your appropriate bill is what you're talking Correct. about here. Yeah. And I walked through it with him. And he and Scott Perry and anybody else have offered to, and I've made comparisons and the, for them. this bill is at the reduced levels than what McCarthy Correct. negotiated with Biden, as you were instructed to do. I'm a and little, they still don't like that. Well, I'm not, I'm not the reductions, but as I explained to him, we all ran on the conference on border security. So therefore, you want more detention? That costs money. We're going to add more beds. Right. You, That's not a cut. That's right. That's something you accomplish with a cut. You want alternatives to detention where people are going to be held or at least to use, uh, use this assistance throughout the time that they're on in our country waiting for their hearings? That's going to cost time. You know, that's why they stop it after 30 or 60 days because they want to pay for it. But that's going to cost money. Uh, you want more wall? Then, you know, we'll get money. But the money has to be used to build a wall. Uh, we want more better technology. And, you know, go after fentanyl. I'm... One, I think we should declare war on it because anything that's killing as many kids as this is killed in our country, if another country was doing that to us, we declare war on it. So let's do it. Let's use all the assets we have to attack the people and where it's coming at. Make it so painful on the cartels they give up that activity and go on to something else that they can make money on. But the combination of those things can happen if you defund these things and, and uh, you want to take a Mayorkas a salary down to a dollar or do these things that don't create the kind of scenario that you want to fix the problem. 
Congressman, thank you very much for doing this. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And that's our show. Our producer is Kara Tabor. Our senior producer is Alex Keeney. I'm Ryan Lizza, host and executive producer of Deep Dive. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Please subscribe to Playbook Deep Dive wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening. 